0: Welcome to Tech Culture Interrupted, NCWIT's podcast on building more inclusive tech cultures that foster diverse participation. My name is Dr. Katherine Ashcraft, and I am the Director of Research at NCWIT.
1: And my name is Dr. Brad McLean. I am the Director of Corporate Research at NCWIT. Today's episode is a look at diversity, equity, and inclusion through a venture capital, private equity, and entrepreneurial lens.
0: And our special guests today are Nancy Phillips and Ryan Heckman from Rally Day Partners. It's so good to have you both here. Yeah, great to be with you.
2: Thanks, Catherine. Thanks, Brad. You didn't tell us you were a doctor, so all of a sudden I'm a little nervous.
0: <laughs> Whoops. We like to keep that under wraps. <laughs> you
2: do a good job of it.
0: <laughs>
1: not
2: quite sure how to take that, but uh, I like it. I'm going to go with it. <laughs> we'll
1: take that. Well. Uh, Today, we are going to be discussing (laughs) entrepreneurial and venture capital, but really also private equity perspectives on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Different kind of equity there. Why it's important, how to achieve DEI success, and the challenges uh, that face us in this lens. But first, let's take a look at a little context of the current state of affairs. Here's some things we know. Diversity in tech, in terms of investment, sees 91% of venture capitalists being men. 86% of them are white. 11% are Asian. Most of these folks have worked in investment banking, private equity, or consulting, and went to Harvard, Stanford, or the University of Pennsylvania. Also, 91% of venture-backed entrepreneurs are also men. 80% of them are white. 16% are Asian. Most of these folks have degrees from a similar set of colleges and have worked at big tech companies like Google or Microsoft. And that sets the stage for why we need to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion from the venture capital private equity lens.
0: So we can see from those stats that generally a non-diverse group is making most of the decisions about who does and doesn't get funded, uh, in particular in technology startups and so while this is certainly a problem for future of innovation, our guests today also see this as an opportunity. So uh, tell us a little bit, Nancy and Ryan, about uh, the origin of Rally Day Partners and how you came to be and the purpose and all that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, no, thanks, Catherine and Brad. Um, you know, those stats are somewhat startling, and I think uh, we aimed when we started Rally Day to not resemble those numbers We just thought it was upside down. And I would say in private equity, uh, we are data driven beasts. And the studies clearly show that gender diversity benefits organizations along dimensions of financial health. And so if you truly are a good investor and you believe strongly that you invest in the very best teams, best organizations, the ones that are going to have the highest potential, I don't know how you ignore the workforce makeup and the the need for diversity to create the right outcomes.
1: When we get to the nuts and bolts, what are the opportunities you see that you can do at Rally Day that other private equity firms are missing or haven't realized they can take advantage of it yet? What are the things you're doing nuts and bolts style to see that diversity value system in action?
2: Yeah, Brad. So uh, just a story. Uh, There was a firm and Probably should name names. We got ushered up into this ivory tower that was like just huge in Southern Manhattan. Uh, it took us like it took us like forty five minutes just to get, to get in, in the office. building. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah.
2: And uh, you know, we were summoned into this room, and this woman gave us about ten minutes, and they had an entire allocation of capital just for diverse. PE and VC managers. Interesting. They gave us 10 minutes and then like ushered us out of the building. Um, and it was so disappointing to us. Nancy was actually proud of it because she's like, I don't want an allocation of capital from somebody who's just doing it because we have diversity on our team. We, Nancy
0: has a view she wants to earn it the right way. And Can you say a little bit more about what you mean about that? Maybe Nancy about the right way?
3: I kind of looked at it as are they – are they truly working towards um, changing the system and therefore uh, wanting to invest in female-led private equity firms because they understand the opportunity and why diversity uh, matters in terms of performance? Um, Or was this a check the box? Mm -hmm. And uh, I got the sense this was a bit more check the box. than being really purposeful. Um, and, you know, listen, As uh, when I ran my business, I didn't want to be looked at as, gee, um, uh, I'm a female CEO. I look to see, to be, I want to be the very best CEO I can be and run my business in a way um, that has an, a competitive advantage in the industry uh, because it's not about hiring the very best talent from the best schools. It was about... Uh, Assembling the very best and most effective teams.
1: If I am the leader of, of an organization trying to secure some funding, what is it that I need to do to make myself attractive to Rally Day in particular that might be different? from other venture capitalists? What is it you're looking for that says, I think this is an opportunity for us to advance DEI goals at the same time as um, our financial goals?
3: We were very careful, yeah, in the formation of some of the questions that we created because, uh, listen, we all know we have unconscious bias. And uh, we actually have an interesting (laughs) approach to that in our in our day-to-day workings as a team as to how to shout out when we think biased has emerged in the room. Uh, but what we did was around this concept of how we evaluate our CEO founders is we have a very specific set of questions that we formulated regardless of, of who we're talking to. And um, that becomes an abil- creates an ability for us to really look from a single lens of Um, whether it's a male or female or uh, whoever it may be, that we're able to take this standard approach to assessing um, who we may be investing in. Do
0: you have examples of what some of those kinds of questions are, some of the ways they
3: differ from the typical
0: approach?
2: Yeah, we just shared um, some of those questions with our
3: a good investors. example under growth minded, intellectual curiosity, sort of, are you a lifelong learner? Um, we, we're actually fascinated what podcasts people listen to. <laughs> and part of their, more around their continuing, their drive for continuing education. Um, how have they embraced their failures openly and gracefully? Um, are their reflections around those failures? Um, uh, you know, the ability for a CEO founder to really articulate um, the differentiators within their business. And so, again, what we've tried to do is, is we've got 10, 10 or 12 attributes that we look for and have created this set of questions that are equally applied regardless of who is in the process.
1: That's a, that's a good point. You know, there's also something you said for being able to walk the talk. You know, I often will be giving a keynote presentation and to get it out of the way right away, I'll often say, is the middle-aged white guy really going to stand up and talk to us about diversity, equity and inclusion? And I say, yes, yes, he is, because uh, as a social scientist, that's what I study, but also as a member of the majority group in tech, uh, I represent the, 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 the demographic who has the most power to make change and who has the most changing to do. And so to front that and say, in order to be an advocate and an ally of diversity, equity, and inclusion, having to walk the talk, having to put action to it, how have you been able to do that with your own internal demographics?
3: In in my view, the the people aren't broken. (laughs) I think the system is, and I think we would point to that private equity simply has become a system and, and how do we go fix the system? And, you know, we look for advocates and allies in every corner to help fix the system. And, you know, as we came together as a partnership, it was very much, let's go fix the system. And to your point, I think around where do we look? I mean, one of the problems in private equity is that typically, it is a small pool. And so you have to be that much more creative and intentional around fishing in new pools. And so we spent a lot of time actually identifying um, and starting to build a list of some of these fishing holes <laughs> uh, where diversity resides. Um, because there are plenty of talented people out there. You have to just go find out where, where they are. And so that's been part of a very purposeful approach in terms of our recruitment of how do we go about finding these places where diversity lives?
0: Do you have advice that you would give to other um people who are running into that same problem and looking for and where they might how they might expand their pools?
3: yeah, exactly. i mean i've I've started with other private equity firms starting to build a a list of locations and places and and uh, memberships and groups uh, that they can pursue, and I'm happy to share it. <clears throat> and so um, happy to go through some of them. The Teago Foundation is one, um, Latinx VC, All Raise. Uh, there's a multitude of them out there, and I think the more we share them amongst each other um, and make them more public, um, you know, ha- happy to support anybody who's, who's looking for more diverse candidate pools.
2: We have a tendency to solve this problem at the at, at the top of the pyramid. You know, there's, there's maybe you say as a as a public board, we should have two minorities on a board, or you know, sort of just placehold this this topic or this objective. And the real the real action needs to happen at the bottom of the pyramid, where it's more developing talent within diversity context.
3: And and I would say you know on. On those same lines, uh, you know, we talk a lot about the difference between mentorship and sponsorship at NCWIT, and I would, I, I would say, this is about sponsorship. This is this is going to be um, both uh, men and women uh, really becoming sponsors within the industry to help women rise to managing partner. Um, you know, the, the, this is going to take, be a full assault. I, I came from infrastructure, which was woefully underserved, and went into private equity, which is woefully underserved. And so our ability to truly um, get out there and spread the word that this is a phenomenal industry to be in, there is opportunity, um, you know, that there, there is a place at the top for women in private equity, um, is is all part of a broad effort. We can do our small piece, but I think we can be a force multiplier uh, by simply getting on talks like this, as an example. Yeah, and I think that
0: uh, point about sponsorship and mentorship is really key, and we know that that is a, a significant factor in people's career paths. And I was wondering, I wanted to switch Gears uh, related but a little bit different in thinking about so it's not just about increasing headcounts or representation, but also wanting uh, all of the sort of entrepreneurial companies to have culture, even if they're founded by white men, for instance, having um, inclusive cultures, right? And so I'm just wondering how you think about that and uh, sort of creating the culture no matter who is at the head of the company, how we create inclusive cultures internally.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe what the what the role of private equity backers might be in promoting that.
0: Well look,
2: there's gonna have to be a few renegades that are going to plow some snow here early days and show that we can have diversity and inclusion goals and also win. You know, I mean private equity and venture capital is an athletic endeavor in the sense of you're measured very ruthlessly. The returns matter. So how that looks to, you know, the folks who invest in our firms, they may say to us something along the lines of, hey, we really love that you guys have a diverse team and get a pat on the back. But if we don't generate outsized returns, they're going to say, you know, love your team composition, but we're not going to invest in, in your firm again because you didn't produce the returns." So it's not just being a renegade and doing all the right things for our DEI goals. It's, you've got to do both. You've got to have this eye towards DEI goals, but then you've got to perform.
1: Yeah, doesn't that also set up a false binary though, perhaps because positioning diversity opposite to performance seems to fly in the face of the research uh, Nancy was quoting earlier that says the diversity actually unlocks performance.
2: Well, we've got to prove it, it's my only point. Um, And I think we will, I mean, we we've invested a lot of our own personal capital into the fund, and so when we ask our investors to make a bet, uh, Brad, that what you just said is absolutely correct, we're putting our own money alongside theirs to say, don't just trust us. We're we're right there with you, and we are going to prove that they're mm-hmm. not mutually exclusive goals, but they're actually in harmony, absolutely, and 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 are additive. How
1: how, how can what can you do? What can you bring to bear to to make? Those cultures you're investing in, those teams you're investing in, um, more effective because of their diversity? Is there something you can do rather than just investing and, and saying, we recognize the potential here? What do you do after that to help nurture that inclusive environment that outperforms, that outsize results um, come with it?
3: One of the things that we do is very unique, uh, especially in private equity, is that. Uh, we do have a program called the Rally Day Accelerator Program. Mm-hmm. It literally is uh, decades of learnings, <laughs> uh, tough learnings along the way as operators that we have gained in terms of what are the core areas of focus that are necessary for companies once we apply sort of in the, at this stage of a company sort of catalytic capital how do we now give them the best foundation opportunity uh, to to scale their companies? Right. And mm-hmm. it is a um, six-month program, uh, ten highly curated days. And shockingly, uh, the first half of the the, the uh, program is related to culture and leadership. Uh-huh. Uh, the last half around strategy. Um you know, it, 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 really unheard of in private equity because I think sometimes the very first conversations were at a board meeting, as I recall, and it was always about results. Uh, we don't think results are, are possible until you really sort of build the foundational trust elements. Um, you revisit your culture um, yeah. as an organization, reaffirm, and as part of that culture and leadership development, uh, we interlace... Um, the power of what it takes to collaborate and become a, a, a very strong team, and so we tend to lead less with authority and more with influence. Uh, you need to take a, a relook at your culture and leadership and what the human capital strategy will be to allow you to reach the, your objectives and
0: in those first few days of that program where you talk about the importance of culture and developing a culture by design, what kinds of advice do you give them or what kinds of support or tips for doing that?
2: I would highlight a few. Um, First of all, the board composition is pretty key. And we have a portfolio company actually based here in Colorado. And I mean, we have every single a population represented on this board. And it wasn't necessarily that we asked them to do it, meaning we as the investor asked the executive team to do it or that we set out to do it. It's that we invited and we're inviting as it relates to great people who wanna contribute to building something very special. And it just so happens that white men are not the only ones that want to do that. Um, And so when it comes to board composition, that's an area that has, you know, significant leverage because the boards end up hiring CEOs, CEOs end up hiring their teams and it can start from the top. So that's kind of top down. From the bottom up, we work with our HR leaders. You know, one of the challenges in a high growth business is that you usually have more demand for what you do than you have supply of either people or product to to deliver. It's it's the nature of of, a, of a, every successful business and so the hiring manager or the whoever's in charge of that we have an entire selection and development package and process that is required of our companies to really take their game from usually it's like a two out of ten if ten's great and we try to make it a ten out of ten through process and systems design and teaching the teacher so to speak and if you are always recruiting and you're doing so systematically and not when you need to fill a position, you can be more thoughtful about hiring by design. The real problems come into play when you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I need to fill these four positions like yesterday. And so naturally you're going to fish in a pond with without necessarily the, the spirit of being deliberate. Uh, you're just going to fill the position. And so it's a discipline that we teach in these first few months around hiring practices that result in diverse goals. So it's just a matter of not being in a hurry when you hire.
3: Yeah, no, and in some cases, it's it's small things, Catherine, which include, in my view, some of the most basics, which is blind screening. Gee, what a concept. Uh (laughs) But how powerful it is in terms of Um, again, not having unconscious bias being brought into the hiring process. So very simple things that we can interject in the early stages of these investments with a path towards continuing development.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important, especially that hiring in a hurry is a pattern we see often in tech, right? And that does get in the Mm -hmm. way of challenging the status quo. It's one of the key barriers and just uh, being able to be more intentional and thoughtful about that. So to pick up on this idea that
1: you know designing a culture or, or influencing a culture, as you mentioned, Nancy, um, for a startup, which is small and really emerging in every sense, is very different from influencing a culture in a big organization, which both of you have worked in and even led. How do you view the difference of the challenge for diversity, equity and inclusion with that smaller startup culture?
3: Yeah. Now there are <laughs> differences and similarities. It's amazing. I think some believe when you're smaller, you have all the reason in the world to do it right from the very beginning. Um, and why wouldn't you versus, you know, as you get larger, you know, t- is it just that much t- more difficult to change? And sort of the uh, analogy of a speedboat in a harbor versus a battleship, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you should be able to move more quickly and, and and you know, be true to your vision and mission. I, I think sometimes what I've seen in small cultures and is the this – this uh, the speed can actually be damaging. You know, this we we talked a little about this sense of urgency and urgency around hiring. And you know, gee, I can't. You know, hire from a diversity and inclusion perspective or a diversity perspective because you know I can't afford it or I can't. You know, and there's the million reasons I don't have the structure in place. And so, I've seen sometimes that at smaller um, Firms uh, that that there's a real lack of commitment um, in those areas, and I don't think there has to be. I don't I don't think it's an either or. And so, where we're investing specifically is more at this adolescent phase, not see, yeah. not at a large scale. And so, at the adolescent phase, what um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity around. Is revisiting your culture. So the culture that got you from startup to this adolescent phase uh, probably w- it doesn't mean it was a bad culture. It's typically a culture that um, is is developed based on firefighting and survival, <laughs> right. and you know, kind of getting to the next stage and yeah. you know, all hands on deck versus at this next stage. I think it's, there's the opportunity to pause to say what will get you to this next uh, th- this next level of scale, and so this is where we intersect with the organizations that we invest in, and as a way of kind of elevating some
0: of those uh, like diversity and inclusion kinds of concerns, or getting people to think about that more. Uh, do you have thoughts about um, as a sort of a complementary approach to that, also uh, raising the priority around diversity, and inclusion through accountability metrics or or funding goals that relate to that, like success in those areas.
3: I believe that at some point we will see, without asking, uh, that the firms that we invest in will happily report in their dashboards, um, you know, what they are doing around DE and I, um, and. You know, we we take the approach far more around enablement, uh, providing them uh, thoughtful questions, facilitation, uh, toolkits that they can leverage and utilize within their organizations. But it it does start with an alignment of we are are in uh, doing the work of building the highest performing companies. And if we are to do that, this is a core ingredient in achieving it.
0: So let's just uh, close out with a little bit of a switch. Uh, You've been doing some work uh, with NCWIT on the tech inclusion journey, and I think you have some thoughts there on uh, just how it's a similar, it's, you know, whatever kind of, it's a strategic uh, approach to building inclusive cultures, similar to many of the things you've been describing. And I think you have some thoughts on how this relates to uh, VC private equity context and can be useful or not.
3: One of the first things we wanted to do when, uh, we came together. We, we Every quarter as a firm, we sit down and have a day of development. And um, one of the first ones we conducted was with NC Witt, and we had a session um, that uh, was on unconscious bias. And we uh, talked about the tech inclusion journey and uh, it, it's, you know, it was a phenomenal day, uh, lots of great um, reinforcements, learnings, things that we operationalized almost immediately, as we always do when we, we take great learnings away. We, we, it's one thing to uh, spend a day learning, it's another to actually go, you know, put them into action and make them part of a system. What I would say about the tech inclusion journey, and obviously I've I've been following this, and it's just tremendous work. I mean, it's really um, the culmination of many years of learnings, um, and and trying to find a you know a way to actually create a system that allows organizations to operate more effectively, and as we all know, it's it's not the people, it's the system. And so if we can fix the system and we can rely on a system to help support us um, and provide good practices, um, that is really a game changer in my view. And so as much as the tech inclusion journey was designed to change tech cultures um, and develop much more inclusive environments, um, I think it equally applies into venture capital or private equity. It's what we're all facing in a way to, um, you know, utilize the tools that NCWIT has so um, carefully curated over the years, um, research-driven, uh, data-driven, I think uh, is, 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 as I say, a real game changer. And so that brings us to the end of today's podcast. To learn more about
0: building more inclusive cultures in tech, check out our Tech Inclusion Journey online platform. We designed this powerful tool for change leaders like you.
1: Be sure also to check out our other podcast episodes on inclusive culture construction, wherever podcasts are found, or through our website at the National Center for Women in IT, which is ncwit.org, ncwit.org. And the name of the podcast is Tech Culture Interrupted.
0: And big thank yous to our special guests today, Nancy Phillips and Ryan Heckman from Rally Day Partners, who are remoting in from Postmodern Company. It was so great to have both of you.
2: We loved it, Catherine and Brad. That was a really great time, and thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. It was great. And thank you to Coop Studios and Taylor Marvin, our sound engineer, Aaron Lasko and Eric Singer producers, as well as Daniel Sproul, who created the theme music.
1: And from NCWIT, the team here includes Lucy Sanders, our CEO, Terry Hogan, our CTO and president, Adrian Bradbury and Sierra Kelly, who are our crack communication team, also designed our logo, and you, listeners and change leaders everywhere. Until next time.